0: But I've been nothing but an out of state investor. So there's advantages. You know, one of the advantages as an older person is because it's not in your backyard, it kind of forces you to be passive. But at the same time, you have to rely really heavily on your people in town, your boots on the ground. And that sometimes can be, uh, you know, an issue. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate
1: investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now,
0: your host, Mike Simmons.
1: All right, guys, thank you for joining me here on the show. I appreciate it. I appreciate you tuning in. If you're new, welcome. If you're not new, meaning you've been here before and you come back for more, thank you for that. I appreciate that very, very much. It means a lot. Guys, today I've got a great guest on the show. This is someone who really embodies good things, doing good for others, being very selfless and being very giving and caring of, of those less fortunate, and also having a staggeringly large, successful real estate company and it's just an amazing combination because either one of the things that are he's, he's actually done a lot in his life he was in the tech industry for a long time like we touched on that and that's wildly uh interesting and impressive he you know he he met a very young mark cuban before mark cuban was mark cuban and you know he's had all these great things happen great relationships great great stories and 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 career uh segments of his life but a couple of bigger highlights is he created an orphanage in uh haiti and and uh, and all these things for uh orphans in haiti like just this huge project he was he was on oprah he was had a cnn uh do a documentary on him and his family on in the orphanage and what they were doing like and, and those things alone would be like that is my crowning achievement in my life and i know he's super proud of those things but he's also built this insanely large uh real estate company that was it even shocked me i did my research but i didn't realize exactly how big it was uh he's a real estate investor entrepreneur and like I host, he he hosts the Old Dog REI Network podcast. I was on his podcast. We recorded it a few weeks back. It'll be live in a few weeks from now. Um, And uh, it's geared toward people. His podcast is geared toward people in their you know 50 plus years as a means to fund their retirement and create a legacy for their family. So he's focused on helping folks that are advanced in age kind of make sure that they're good in their retirement and they have that passive income. Um, Like I said, he, he was a missionary in Haiti. Um, he, He's been a musician. I He toured the world uh making music for for kids and just amazing and and before that he was in business for 25 years in the tech industry and some other stuff that he did so um just an amazing guy and by the way he's got a portfolio of over 700 doors in his in his rental portfolio and he's he's got a goal of a thousand so you'll hear me hear me kind of um uh you know put my foot in my mouth when i'm talking to him saying you know you, you probably don't have this goal of getting a thousand doors or something and he's like well no actually i do i've got over 700 now and I'll be at a thousand in a few years. And I was like, "Wow!" Because he's just such a a soft spoken, humble, humble, non assuming guy, unassuming, and uh, yeah, he's a great guy. Anyways, I'm going on and on here, but his name is Bill Manicero, and like I said, you can find him on his own his own podcast at Old Dogs REI Network. Uh, we had a great talk. It's one of it's one of these the episode that I did. I feel like I'm talking a lot now because during the episode, I didn't talk very much at all. He took over, and he's a great storyteller. So it was phenomenal for me as a host to have the ability to sit back and just listen and enjoy. And, and he just he just did his thing and it was great. So hopefully you enjoy this. I think it's a really, really great one. So without any further ado, I give you Bill Manicero. All right, Bill. Thank you for being on the show. I appreciate you taking the time to do this. It's uh, something I'm looking forward to. Here, I was on your show a few weeks back, and we had a good time. And you were kind enough to reciprocate. So I'm I'm looking forward to this. Thanks for being here.
0: Oh well, this is uh, this is a blast. I'm looking forward to to Mike. It was a lot of fun having you on our show. I'm and that's uh, coming up pretty soon. We're going to be airing that. So I'm looking forward to that.
1: Nice, good. I'm I'm looking forward to it too. That was awesome. It was a good time.
0: And just so everyone knows, you you do have your uh, the the
1: podcast is the Old Dogs REI Network podcast. Right. Yeah. And it caters to folks 50 and older, like kind of older generation to kind of talk about retirement vehicles and passive income and things like that. So I suggest uh, to my listeners, certainly the ones that are in that age range, definitely go take a look at that. But even the younger guys, listen, it's good to always look ahead at what things are going to be important to you at that that age. So I'm there. So it's important to me. And I, I had a great time doing it. But let's introduce you to my audience a little bit. I uh, They obviously got a little taste of what you're about uh, when I did your intro, but let's talk. Let's maybe even go back to before real estate, if you did something before the, your your life in real estate, which I know you did because I did my research, but let's tell folks what you were up to prior to real estate.
0: Well, sure. I, uh, I mean, I've, I've been around for a while. I'm an old dog, you know, so... Uh, <laughs> um at about uh, 25 plus years of business background started in financial services uh moved into uh marketing the automotive industry airline industries did uh launched the uh the Nissan um Infinity division um uh, when that when you know they all Toyota and they came out with Lexus and Vinny was coming out where were you um, located at that point when you were in the automotive industry Nissan? in Nissan in Southern California. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, okay. There was a uh, major you know Nissan headquarters here and uh, in fact it was just a block away from the Toyota headquarters. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but we're real close. <laughs> Yeah. But uh, yeah, right right here in, okay. in Southern California. Okay. I'm in, uh, that was in the South Bay, what's called the South Bay area, a little bit south of LAX airport. Okay. And uh, now I'm further south. I'm what's uh, called South Orange County, Laguna Beach um, area yeah. and so forth. Nice. But uh, yeah, in in uh, business, then I, I, I kind of moved into technology and uh, was very involved. Uh, launched an organization called the Software Council of Southern California to try and boost hmm. up the software industry and attract tech to SoCal. And uh, at that time, the internet just started to take off. And so we were real busy, you know, working with these new internet startups. That was a blast. You know, just, you know, young guys, like, they were looking to launch their brand, um, it was it was, it was pretty fun, you know, just uh, being able to help these companies. And we'd bring together, like, venture capitalists with these new companies and, and try to help them get going. A young guy named Mark Cuban was one of the, the guys that happened to come through our gates. It sounds and, vaguely uh, familiar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, just uh, you had a little company called Broadcast.com. That played, uh, you know, NCA, you know, basketball, you know, all this stuff. Yeah. You know, I don't know how he did it in the beginning, but it sounded like he had like all these microphones on different radios for, you know, all the games going on around <laughs> the country. But you know, he's a little more sophisticated than that. But that's what helped, you know, launch him into his uh, I eyes mean, yeah. well, all over the place. Now, you know, we did, did a lot of uh, a lot of technology, and uh, then I got hired away by one of the startups, and uh, um, you know, it looked like a good opportunity and something um, pretty exciting. Uh, uh, Meg Whitman, who launched eBay, is okay. launching this new business portal, and uh, you know I jumped into it. and it, Like you know, it's a great, great way to get uh, get involved. You know, it's, it's one of those things everybody's looking at their stock options and just kind of dreaming about, you know, <laughs> <laughs> what's kind yeah. what's going to look like in a year. Well, a year after I joined the company, you know, I saw what had happened—the bubble burst—and uh, yeah. you know, this company, along with a ton of others, you know, just yeah. disappeared. That was kind of a, a kind of a wake-up call. But I've been in business a long time, and I was kind of burnt out onto it, and uh, I felt the call. At, you know, really during. The those years of um, getting into ministry, and uh, I had like a music ministry that took me around the, the country and eventually around the world uh, doing children's music. It was nice because I had spent all these years, you know, always traveling. Spent a lot of time in Japan when I was doing the Nissan stuff, and I was always away from my family. But uh, this one, you know, we we all stayed together. We actually had a rock band, and you know, and, and we toured around kind of like the Partridge Family. Of course, nobody listening probably knows who the Partridge Family, <laughs> I, I do actually. But, yeah, right. <laughs> I know. But, you know, it's like a family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kids yeah. did hand hand motions, and yeah, you know, my brother-in-law was on drums, and you know all this stuff. So awesome. it was it was a real fun time traveling around. We went to you know even Russia, South Africa, other places, um, and released about three albums. And while we were doing that, it was kind of a, a neat period of time. We would partner with other organizations, you know, Christian organizations. That uh, one of them was Compassion International, and um, my daughter, who was you know uh, I have seven kids, but this is my sort of my middle daughter. Um, she was uh, really, uh, you know, she really loved to go to the uh, Compassion International booth and just hang out with the people that are. they all knew her. She eventually ended up sponsoring this little kid from Haiti. And she just really got into sponsoring him and wanted to research Haiti, would go on the Internet and look for, you know, what uh, what kind of cool things were happening there. And, and she'd go to all the orphanages. And she, I think she memorized every baby that was in Haiti, you know. I mean, she was just like really into it. Yeah. We got an opportunity to, um, well, actually, she kind of surprised me. One day I went into uh, her room, and she had this little jar of money sitting aside, and, and I asked her what she was doing with the, the jar and, and, and stuff. I thought she's saving to go to Disneyland or buy, you know, sure. something. She looked at me you know, kind of with this, like, skeptical kind of thing. She's only, like, nine years old. Uh, she said, well, Dad, because I'm going to build an orphanage, a hospital, a school, oh. and a church in Haiti. <laughs> you know, and I go, awesome. really? You know, it's like, nine years old. I figure, well, next year she'll want to be president or next year yeah. she'll want to, but she just stayed in, into it and uh, really, really into it. And then we had an opportunity to go and do a concert series, you know, a little mini concert in Haiti. As we were you're preparing for it, I said, you know, honey, you're going to get to see this place that you really love. And when we arrived, you know, Haiti at that time was pretty backwards. And, you know, you, you get off the plane, you wa- literally walk off onto the runway there and yeah. walk, walk onto the runway. And uh, she you know, got got in, uh, off the runway. She knelt down, kissed the ground. She goes, Daddy, I'm home, you know, and I was just going, oh, oh man. Wow. Yeah, really, wow. really moved by it. And, you know, we as we toured, we just, we were all really moved by it, especially the street kids, you know, 300,000 kids living streets. And uh, it just really moved us. And, you know, we're flying home after this incredibly emotional and powerful trip. And my wife's looking at me saying, I don't know, hon, I think we're going the wrong way in this plane. And, uh, you know, and I'm kind of going, ah, I don't know, I'm not hearing it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, But it was interesting over time, we all, you know, our hearts just kind of turned and we literally end up just giving away or selling everything. Thing we had and hopping on a plane, um, we went over and there were a handful of street kids that we had met when on our first trip over there that we actually you know set up a house for and you know were taken care of because they were just the person who was running the orphanage you know, had uh, had just you know, got thrown to jail it was a really complicated a horrible situation but so we just kind of moved in and uh, you know started taking care of these kids I had no idea what I was doing I was you know a business guy you know I yeah. had yeah. absolutely no idea what I was doing <laughs> but we prayed a lot and uh, so. It just uh, you know just kind of evolved in this organization that just kept growing and growing. It's called Child Hope International. Started off with a boys' home, then we added a girls' home and a guest house, and then we added a school and uh, you know everything that my daughter had dreamt of. And in that process, it had just kind of overnight just grew in this huge organization and. Uh, the earthquake hit Haiti, and that was huge. Um, and we were there um, you know when that happened, just a lot of things evolved from there. CNN who covered the earthquake a lot, ended up you know just hanging out at our orphanage and seeing a, a Soled O'Brien, who was doing a lot of the coverage for the Haiti earthquake, ended up just getting really into what we did and ended up asking if she if we would mind if she did a documentary on our organization and she put together this documentary called Rescued and Um, It was all about the kids and some of their stories and so forth that we were uh, helping out. And then that kind of evolved into something. And Oprah Winfrey ended up coming over as well and doing a a segment on uh, her her, uh, program. So, yeah, so it it just got a lot of attention, but we, we weren't looking for attention. We were really just looking to serve the kids that were there. But as time went on, you know, I was getting older and I'm I'm kind of going, well, you know, this is, this is great. My wife ended up getting cancer, which is tough. We, we oh. flew back to the States, um, you know, and in nine months we came back, she was totally healed. It was just a miracle and, you know, wow. just wonderful. And and our kids though are growing up and they're starting to go back to the States and we're just kind of weighing things out, just trying to see how it is. And you know, it's a it's a tough place. It's, you know, I mean there are, mm-hmm. there are what they call manifestations that, that are just riots that just hop up out of nowhere. You know, we've been shot at, attempted kidnappings, we've wow. you know, had DNA and malaria and I mean it just you know, it's a tough place. And mm-hmm. when I was younger and we got there, it was a little different. As we got older, I'm kinda of going, you know, we gotta figure out what we're gonna do. Are we gonna stay here until we die? Are we gonna You know, so we we decided to take a one year sabbatical and went to the States. And during that process, I'm kind of just trying to figure out what we're doing. You know, I really felt that God really wanted us to, to come back to the States and find some younger people to come in and kind of take over what we were doing. But what I did is, you know, we when we came back to Haiti, preparing to go back to the States, I'm looking at well, what am I going to do? I'm approaching 60 years old, you know. I've mm. got to, you know, figure out what I'm going to do. I, you know, I didn't want to just go home and, you know, collect seashores down on Laguna Beach, you know, yeah. and seashells. <laughs> I'm just too active and kind of hyper and stuff. So I, I was looking at what I was doing, trying to get ideas, you know, maybe, yeah, I'd started businesses before. So I thought, well, maybe I can start a business, but you know, just weighing everything out. And I got this unexpected inheritance check. And, you know, because I was in tech, I, I had a lot of tech stocks and a lot of, you know, I was very active in the stock market and, uh, I got this money and I'm going, well, I'm already heavily vested in the market and it was pretty volatile at this time too. Mm-hmm. And so I'm kind of going, well, you know, I'm going to diversify. And I started looking around, you know, should I go gold, should I, you know, should I find some other ta- annuities yeah. or other things? And, uh, And there's some guys on our board that are real estate investors. Uh, And there's a developer and, you know, a couple of different guys on there. And I I used talking to them about that. And they said, yeah, I mean, real estate's a great way to, you know, diversify your funds. What year was this approximately? This was about... Twenty thirteen fourteen, 14, okay. right around. Okay. And so I, you know, I'm kind of looking at this and I started reading up on it. You read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you know, totally changed yeah. the way I thought about money, you know, and yeah. assets and all that. And then, uh, then I started doing more research and I said, well, you know, what should I do? There's a lot of things. I could buy REITs, you know, I could, I could invest flip but I'm still in Haiti and I'm kind of going, well, how is that, uh, you know, how am yeah. I going to do that remotely? And, you know, kind of went through a lot of different things. I just finally just said, look, I'm just going to get some turnkey property. I'm going to look for a good emerging market, hot markets, mm-hmm. and go right to those markets. And so, um, so that's what I did. I did some research, you know, tried to do, you know, listen to podcasts and they were just kind of starting off around that time, like 2014 now. And, uh, and, you know, I'm looking at YouTube and I'm just, you know, collecting data. So I, I zeroed in on Atlanta and, and Memphis. And I figured, you know, if, if I go back to Southern California, it's just the market there is horrible. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's an appreciation play, but it's not mm-hmm. a crack cash flow. And, you know, in my retirement years, you know, cash flow is really what you know. I see on my show is cash flow is king, you know. So yeah. it's not a good cash flowing place necessarily. So that's why I zeroed in on these two places. I hopped on a plane out of Port-au-Prince, of Haiti, flew to Atlanta, a couple of days later flew to uh, Memphis and then flew back to Haiti and I had three properties uh, one duplex and two single family homes and I just figured well you know they're turnkey so I really don't have to do anything I'll Mm -hmm. just and the next month, boom, money appears in my account miraculously because I had tenants in them and, and I'm going, okay, this is really easy. This mm-hmm. is really easy. And I started thinking, well, maybe that's, maybe I should do a little bit more of that. In fact, maybe it could be kind of my side, you know, gig here, you know? And, yeah. and so I uh, yeah, started doing research. We finally moved to the States, back to the States and uh, continued buying. Uh, one thing I realized really quickly was I, I, you know, I bought these three properties. I paid about the same for each property, but the duplex okay, which I paid about the same as I did for a single family, was making twice as much as the others. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and except, except I only have, you know, I still only have one property tax payment, one insurance paper, one yep. roof to worry about. I'm going, okay, duh, this is like, you know, I could see the economies of scale even with the duplex. And so that that made me think, I, I don't need to buy single family homes. I should really be buying multi here. So I bought another duplex this time in Indianapolis as I'm putting you know this together, you know I'm just having a blast doing this and, and seeing that uh, you know the turnkey thing was starting to fall a little awry. You know I was having some problems with property management. Some of the tenants that I initially had when I purchased the property, I even questioned whether or not they really were tenants, yeah. you know, whether yeah. or not this was, you know, kind of staged. And so, uh, so there, there are a few issues I had to deal with, but, you know, I'm learning the, the way you know, I always believe, you know, when you invest in real estate, you can do all the studying you want, read, go to the courses, do everything, yeah. but you really don't start learning until you sign your first set of escrowers, you know, yeah. and, and that's really where things start. And, yep. and that was what the case was with me. And I started learning about this, but there's all these friends of mine, you you know, around my same age and they're talking to me about this and they're saying, well, tell us how that, you know, how's your real estate going? What's what's happening? And I'm sharing it with more and more guys and telling them the the horror stories as well as the, you know, the good stuff. And in that process, I'm kind of emailing people and going, well, this is, this is getting kind of busy. What I'm going to do is do a blog. And uh, then if people, you know, I'll share my story on this blog and uh, by about that time I, I just, you know, decided to get a mentor I, I felt like I needed a little bit more help here so I, the mentor I had at the time said hey you need to do a podcast you know and I'm going um, well you know i got a face for podcasting but i i, I don't i don't know if, i don't know if i if i have the voice for it you know i always doing doing you know and um and uh and, yeah. you know all these not my natural thing you know yeah. and i don't have the voice like you so i'm 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 kind of going through this you know the whole thing he kept kept on me kept on me and i finally said okay i'll do it once a week and uh and i started doing it and it was awesome it ended up being so much more than i, I expect and, Yeah. The, the benefits were just phenomenal too. As in, and, I, and it wasn't, I wasn't selling anything. I didn't coaching. I didn't have a lot of, you know, I, it mm-hmm. was strictly just information, but what was great is I was making contact with these guys that probably wouldn't have even, for example, taken my call yeah. if I was just a regular Joe. Sure. But uh, of course they're you know my best friend when, you know, when they want to come on the show type thing. And so it was really, it was kind of neat uh, you know, I was developing some good relationships and good networking. And then as I started expanding and getting into properties where I was uh, seeking investors and so forth, then all of a and investors are getting in, are, are coming to me saying, Hey, I heard about that apartment building you're doing. You know, I'd like to get involved. So, um, so it just it ended up being great. And I think you're like an episode 450 or something. So, we've done a lot of episodes. I added yeah. a, another episode on Fridays, and that's just kind of my it's called it Fun Fact Fridays, where I just kind of I talk about anything i mean i could i could just do a thing on you know cap rates or i could yeah, do yeah. something um you know the the prostitution stakeout they did in one of my apartments or you know whatever it is yeah <laughs> just yeah that's cool all the you know yeah just like whatever i want to you know when the guests are there it's really their show you know i, yeah. I just kind of steer them yeah but that that's kind of how i got started that's it you know ended up with this podcast this all this stuff and still investing so that's kind of the short story right
1: Yeah, no, that was one of the most fascinating and well-told background stories I've ever had on the show, bar none. It was was riveting. So uh, I wasn't going to dare interrupt any of that. I loved it. Give everyone a sense of where you are now in your your real estate business specifically. You've mentioned that you bought... Well, well, first of all, before we do that, I, I did write a note here because I know a lot of my listeners you know when you, when someone like you was talking it's like well I got my first three properties and you move on everyone's gonna go where'd you find them how did you find them you know you just flew into town and you and you flew out with properties but did you go to a company that was like selling turnkeys how did you find those first three properties for example
0: when I decided I want to buy I wanted to do the the rental you know rental properties and that that was once I decided that then I started looking at how do I do it you know, I could buy a property. Then I've got to probably do some rehab, and then I'm going to have to find a property manager, and you know, and all that stuff. I'm going. This this is going to get really complicated here. And then I, I heard about Turnkeys, and uh, one of the places I hung out a lot was in Bigger Pocket, you know, and that's I was making a lot of contacts, and yeah, that's where I started researching. And then I found a company that looked you know looked good. It was in the markets I, I was interested in, but they weren't uh, you know they weren't a U.S. based company. They're based out of Singapore most of their clients were uh, Asian. So they're, you know, so China, it's Singapore, it's Japan, it's, you know, so they they have a lot of Eastern uh, investors and so that that probably was not the wisest thing again you know I, I learned through the school of hard knocks but I like their approach and they would you know send me these properties that are available you know on a regular email and, and then when I started doing my research they gave me like 10 different properties from Memphis to start with and so I could look at these and you know do my numbers and and research the areas and, and, and it was you know it was, it was real easy and, and I think that was what attracted me to it and the fact that no matter what property I got it would have tenants in place and it would have all the Rehab done. It, yeah. I wouldn't have to do anything else. I wouldn't have to buy a new hot water heater or you know put a new roof on. All that stuff had been sure. done. So that appealed to me. You know, there's as I told you, I experienced some difficulties in that process, but that's how I found it. it was just okay. a, again, I was researching, looking for uh, people in those markets that did turnkey, and that's how I found it.
1: Okay. Very cool.
0: Do you still have those properties by chance? The, the three. That um, you I just sold one of them. The uh, other ones I'm uh, I had on the market before COVID hit. In fact, I had a one of them under contract because I was trying to get rid of some of the smaller properties. Not because I mean they were still cash flowing. They're, they're you know they're doing yeah. well, but you know they're C properties. that require C properties just require more a lot more involvement. I'm trying to get more passive. I'm trying to get into properties that aren't as uh, labor intensive. Sure. You know, so so I sold one in Atlanta. Uh, and then the uh, the Memphis ones I took off the market uh, well the person that was in it was kind of scared I guess it was their first investment property or something okay. and so you know they, they wanted out and I wasn't you know I gave them their, their earnest money back or whatever I wasn't going to make a big deal it Was everybody's freaking out because of COVID so they're doing well they're still producing and I'm kind of just watching the market to see where it's at I it, it took a little bit of a dip you know with the COVID and so I prefer it to be a little bit high you know a little bit, little bit higher price and yeah. so uh, so I'm just kind of monitoring now but eventually we'll sell the smaller ones yeah
1: okay it sounds like you also are um, you're open to different markets you're not just trying to go into like Indiana this Indianapolis subdivision like you're all over you're in Memphis you're in Atlanta you're in I think I heard Indiana Um, are you kind of all over the United States right now what does your portfolio look like what what are we talking about the
0: states I'm in um, I'm uh, you know start off like I said Atlanta uh, Memphis Indianapolis Irving Texas also um, in Florida um a couple of different places, Punta Gorda, Palm Bay and uh and we're looking at other properties there. And we're also looking at Texas right now too. So okay. oh and also uh Williamsburg, Virginia is kinda out of nowhere. Right. But uh, yeah, so, so those are those are kind of the areas that we're in
1: right now. Okay. How big is your portfolio now? I know the the goal is not necessary to have a, th- a thousand or two. You know, I know that's not your necessarily your goal, but what is the size of your
0: portfolio at this point? Well, I, mean, I did set the thousand goal. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. When I started, so yeah. I technically have you know like an, another year, twenty twenty one. But I'm I'm at about seven hundred and thirty six doors right it's, now. It's funny, Bill. You're so
1: unassuming and humble that the way you were talking going up to that number my guess would have been you have 50 because you just sound so casual about it but you have 700 plus doors right now like that's well,
0: it's, Yeah. Well, the one thing that happened is, is as I started to get involved and I started to make some great contacts with people, um, I started partnering with people. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was able to do bigger projects. Okay. So, you know, I come in as a GP and a co-sponsor. So it's not just me. And it's not just, you know, I, I have a, a bunch that I own on my own. But, you know, that's a smaller amount. I hear you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: that makes sense. But, but, but my goodness, that's a humongous portfolio. <laughs> so, yeah. You just no, it, no, you I mean... weren't you weren't revving up to that. Like, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> Normally, I can see it coming when someone's going to tell me they have almost a thousand doors, or they're going to have a thousand doors. I didn't see it coming with you because you're so casual and like modest about it. You, I didn't see that coming, but my goodness, that's huge! So a lot of these are partners, or some of them are partnerships. You just said, do you self manage anything? Is it all somebody else is doing the it's management? All somebody else, okay. yeah. Super smart. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. I mean, really, I'm not necessarily by choice. You know, and, and it's and it's like I share with people as you you, you do. I'm sure giving advice to your listeners too. Yeah. Is that if you've got a place and it's a good market, you know, stay at work in your backyard, you know, do it in your, yeah. in your own neighborhood. Yeah. That's always going to be better. But I've been nothing but an out-of-state investor. So there's advantages. You know, one of the advantages as an older person is because it's not in your backyard, you're not running down there every two minutes, yeah. you know, when yeah. there's a call or something. Yeah. It kind of forces you to be passive. But at the same time you have to rely really heavily on your people in town your boots on the ground and that sometimes can be uh, you know an issue so you really have to train your, your people right you know when, when picking property managers is key to any success you're going to have as an out-of-state investor so that uh, you know th- those are you know, a lot of lessons learned for me is uh,
1: can we let's be specific a little bit if you can what lessons yeah. learned have you had with picking project managers what are some of the things that have happened that you look out for now Like, how do you, how do you pick one? Like, what, what are your criteria?
0: Yeah, well, the, the, the thing that I need is, is transparency. That's, Mm -hmm. that's key for me. And if they can't provide the transparency that I need, then, then that's an issue. So I, I, you know, if they're, if they're going to mark up something, for example, they're, you know, if they're going to, if they're going to send out a plumber, I want to know exactly, you know, what the plumber gets and what they get. Yeah. If there's kind of gray on that, you know, then that's a red flag. And it's not because I, you know, want to. I don't like to micromanage. I hate micromanaging. The last thing in the world I want to do. I just want the transparency, so I kind of know where I need to adjust things. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, where sometimes we have small margins and sometimes we don't. But generally, you know, you've you've got to be wise in the expense side because when you know I'm a value add investor, so I come yeah. into something, I've got to cut expenses, got to boost revenue. You know, you got to know where you can cut, and unless you understand the full expense picture, you you can't. So. So, I do a lot of stuff. It, it's a it, you know just background checks on people. I dig pretty deep uh, when I'm when I'm evaluating property managers to find out you know about their character and about yeah. how their tenants feel mm-hmm. if they're managing a property, how are the tenants, um, and also how the, the you know the actual client is as well. So you know I dig real deep. I have a questionnaire pretty extensive that I start with, and that helps me weed through the people that just I, I know is, is just not going to go anywhere with, but those that that, that hang on and, and sort of pass that first phase, uh, then I start digging deeper.
1: Do you actually talk to the tenants then? You, you Do you pull a sample size of them and just say, hey, what is your experience? What is it like?
0: I try to do that. Yeah, I try to do that. It's, it's difficult because you don't want to necessarily talk to the ones that, <laughs> that they're going to give you, you know, just yeah. like you don't want yeah. to necessarily talk to the clients that they're going to say, oh, call yeah. him, you know, yeah. it's his yeah. brother-in-law, you know, exactly. or, I mean, you have to do a little sort of stealth, you know, work here and, yeah. um, you know, you find out what the properties are. I've had sort of mystery shoppers that have gone in that, you know, to look at uh, yeah. units that are available, you know, how they were treated and the showing, how that, how the showing go. The uh, same person can also um, talk to tenants uh, in that process too. Yeah. So uh, it's not always easy, you know, it's a, a, but uh, there, there are ways to do it. That's
1: smart. Does it really matter to you if the property management company is a larger company, a smaller company? Do you find that there's, it's better to work with a smaller company with less doors or a bigger company because they have more of a system in place?
0: Yeah, I mean th- that's I mean one of the reasons why you know I went from I think 28 units to you know over 100 units because at 100 plus is where you're 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 getting just a higher caliber of, of manager. You've mm-hmm. got professional people yeah. that that uh, you know that have certifications that are that are professional property managers and. You just, it's just a whole different ballpark. The single family guys that I had, you know, a lot of them are are just kind of shooting from the hip. It's one of those businesses, especially when it's, when, when you're talking smaller properties where I just look at the the business model. I say, how do they make any money? <laughs> yeah. You know, because yeah. you look at it, you know, they're getting 10%, they're getting 800, you know, $800, you know, the person's paying $800 for a single family home, for example. And so they're getting $80, you know, for that. So how, what can $80 buy in terms of really top notch service for mm-hmm. that property of yours? Yeah. Well, not much, you know, you've got administrative personnel that, you know, which is really important mm-hmm. because they've got to track everything and they've got to collect the rent and they've got yeah. to do all this. And then you've got, the, you know, the maintenance fee, you got, you got a lot of things that that $80 has got to do. And I just, I yeah. look at it I say, the only way these guys make money is to get a lot of properties yep. and uh, hope that most of these clients, you know, aren't going to, aren't going to bug them yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because that's really, that's really what it is. That's a real tough field to work with. And that's when I started off with the smaller properties. Those are the people I was dealing. With, so. Yeah. Makes
1: sense So how much time do you feel, figure you spend nowadays on your rentals? How much time does take out of your week or
0: your month? do you, do you have any idea? You know, it's funny because I'm. I feel like I'm working full time all the time, but I'm doing a lot of other things. I'm doing the podcast, sure. yep. blog. You know, I'm, I'm always looking for properties, and I'm always okay. you know, analyzing and looking at markets. And but if you stopped everything, of-
1: every activity you're into, except you kept your rental portfolio, whatever your your doors, how much time would you
0: spend? Probably not more than about eight, 10 hours. Wow. Yeah. We did launch into, we started experimenting with the Airbnb. Okay. And so I, I have a 22 unit in Indianapolis. It's in a great location, 10 minutes from downtown, real close to the airport, you know, had a lot of good things in place for mm-hmm. Airbnb. So I, you know, I took three units and converted them to Airbnb. So that was a a learning experience for me. I mean, yeah. I still have them and they're actually very lucrative. They make three times the rent of the other sure. regular units there. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always learning, you know, so, I, so I'll get involved in, to the degree where I really understand how that works. And then I start backing away as I find people to be able to take on all of the various aspects. Of,
1: how did those but, Airbnbs do during the COVID first wave? How, how did that
0: affect well, you? Well, at first, we just got tons of cancellations. Yeah. I mean, it was right before the Indy 500. I mean, there was like all of this just boom, you know, we got, we just, uh, it, it, it hit, you know, pretty hard. Even to the point where we, you know, filed for, you know, some assistance, you know, Uh because that that was income that we were counting on. It was funny because, you know, we we just tweaked a few things. Yeah, we had to drop our rate and sort of re-engineer how we were presenting things. Mm -hmm. We started advertising as part of our, our, you know, for our units, just the fact that we were exceeding CDC guidelines in terms of our sterilization cleaning. You know, we kind of moved from just cleaning to the word sterilization. And I had to find the right cleaning people that were willing to do that, Mm -hmm. you know, and and try to keep it affordable at the same time. Time. Yeah. So yeah, so after some tweaking, you know, we got right back up to, you know, we're book I don't know, all the way through you know, October, November. Oh, that's and so, great. Okay. Yeah. Good.
1: Good. So I think we have a really good sense of your past and what you what you were working on in the last few years, but what what are you working on right now? Like what are you excited about right now? What's taking a lot of your energy and time and focus right now?
0: Well, it's it's real interesting. It's a good good question. You know, I, I think you know, again, I was looking at 100 plus units, looking for big apartment buildings, um, looking for good partners to go in with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one of my um, one of my contacts, a, fr- a friend I've known for years and also very aggressive, very successful syndicator approached me and he said, hey, um, have you ever thought about senior living? And it's, it's really interesting because, you know, we we're talking kind of offline I was looking at sort of the single family home model. A guy, Gene Guarino, is a, a guy I had on my show, and he's out of uh, Arizona. He was talking all about I said, this looks like a neat little model, <laughs> you know. And, and I was looking at it, but I was kind of going. But there's this this labor thing that's really kind of a key element there. But but I I know the demand is there. I mean, you've got 10,000 people a day turning 65 years of age, and that yeah. bubble is just moving down the line. So you know those people. I, I mean, I'm 65, but there's the people 10 years older than me. that are in their 70s, and and the 80s is really where that whole assisted living market is. Yeah, and that's going to double. You know, by the you know in the next 20 years or sure. so, 10 or 20 years. So I'm looking at this and I'm saying there's a huge market here. And this friend of mine had uh, partnered with another guy who had built these senior living facilities from ground up. You know, I look at it kind of like they're multifamily. Basically, it's, you know, it's like 90 units, uh, 80 units, 60, you know, 120, but they're a single story unit. But this, I'd never done any ground up construction. This is the first time I've gotten involved in that. And I was like, I never wanted to do that because Generally, all your money goes up front. You know, you've got to get the, the and then if you don't get delays and, you know, the, all, the, sure. all the other things that happen, construction, you know, you'll, you'll start to see money maybe into year two or something. But this guy had built like 20 of these things already in, in Michigan. He was extremely successful. He was a former medical supplies, you know, he had a medical supplies company. And so he traveled all, all around the U.S. He had a lot of big clients. Um, he'd seen a lot of the, the assisted living facilities and many of them just really he wasn't impressed with at all. And then he was faced with, like a lot of us are, uh, myself, my wife or you know, our parents get older and sure. we have to try to find a place for them. And he started shopping around for a place for his parents. And he was just uh, disgusted and, and so many of these places. And yeah. he was just saying, this is not right. You know, we, we need, you know, because I don't want my parents to go into a place like like this or that one. And so he literally sold his, his medical supply business, which is very successful. He made millions. And then he took that money and he, and he said, I'm going to start building the kinds of facilities where I could spoil my parent like they spoiled me. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. And that's really has become his motto on this thing is to, you know, to create a senior living environment that is just absolutely wonderful for the parents. So, so what he did is came up with this, it's a single story format. Okay. Usually it, it takes you know, up to 17 acres sometimes because it's flattened out. And there, there are spas, there's a movie theater, there's salons. so the ladies can get their hair done, their nails done. I mean, it's a luxury facility. It's, yeah. it's definitely an A property, which is another thing I've avoided, not buying any A properties in the yeah. past. But this is ground up and the model is just very different and he gets these things not only are they built very inexpensive but looking super high quality Mm -hmm. but he knows how to manage the whole construction end of it. He also came up with the operation manual because he wanted to know that his parents were going to be cared for with the yeah. top quality care. So he came up with a whole operation in conjunction with seeing it from ground up. And this formula is just amazing. They complete these facilities in twelve to fourteen months. Wow. So, so the, the wow. yeah, this is very That's fast. Uh, unusual. And it's like generally below, you know, what the uh, what, what the estimate was. Sure. You know, one of the things that was very impressive about it is that in creating this kind of a model is that you you finance it with a construction. Construction loan, Okay. So you get okay. a, a five-year, 10-year construction loan. Yeah. Okay. Interest only for the first three years. So you you don't have to deal with, you know, agency money, Fannie Mae, for, you know, like you do yeah. with, with multifamily, sure. a large multifamily. And generally you're, you've sold it a year, two or three. One of the hottest areas right now in terms of REITs are these healthcare REITs. And there are some that specialize in senior living. So he'll he'll build these things before the thing is even open. He's got a REIT that has provided an LOI to build. It costs fourteen fifteen million. We've already got an LOI for eighteen million before it has even opened up. That's crazy. And this has been kind of the format that he's he's been following. Now we kind of when when my friend and I got involved, we took him out of Michigan and we started going into new markets, and that's where we're in Florida. Uh, Williamsburg, Virginia. Yeah, moving into Texas. What are
1: they and, called? What are these facilities called? I'm in Michigan, so I don't know if I've ever heard of them or not.
0: In Michigan, I'm not 100% sure. Okay, uh, actually, okay. Yeah, because it's has, has kind of a different, a different name for it.
1: I, I don't think it's called Sunrise, because there's the, one of the big ones in Michigan is called Sunrise, but they're not single level. They're definitely multi-level, so it's probably not that.
0: It's just a different model. So for me, yeah. it has really been really really exciting because I already have this podcast and the focus is on this generation. Now, granted, the ones that we're housing are, are you know older on that scale. Average age is around eighty. We have somebody one hundred and four in one wow. of the facilities. So they're they're definitely older. There's, and there are different types of facilities, you know, you have, you know, sort of leisure sort of senior facilities where they have a golf course and everybody drives around in a golf cart. It's more active seniors. Uh, They can drive and they can do a lot of other things. And then you have this, this group here, which is, uh, you know, okay. So it's a little bit tougher for them to, to get around on their own. Yeah. Uh, some of them may, may have, uh, we also have memory care there too. So mm. we have a, a part of the facility is people with Alzheimer's so that, oh, yeah. that require, you know, really close watch. Yeah. And uh, uh, and then you have, and you move into those that are like more convalescent care, which are people with hospitalization, you know, they have to be hooked up machines or they have to have, you know, a 24 hour nurse. Sure. So, you know, we're that other, that mid area, which yeah. is uh a strong demand for
1: it. And you mentioned before we, I think before we went live, I think that these facilities are not for people with really bad medical conditions. I know dementia is bad, but I mean, not physical, you know, issues. So this person who's 104 is still tooling around, like getting around and doing stuff. Oh yeah. That's no, they're,
0: they're there. I mean, they're putting around the, the area. It's, it's not, yeah. uh, we have like a little, uh, we have a little putting green, actually. They're literally putting. But we have like a little putting green and, and there's not a lot. You know, it's not like we have beach volleyball or right. something, you know, it's, <laughs> exactly. I mean, most of them are just hanging out. Yeah. You know, there's a big library. There's a lounge area. Sounds- there's a lot of events that go on there and stuff like that. Some of them have walkers. Some of them have wheelchairs. Some are just walking around. But they're generally, yeah. You know, they, I'm sure a lot of them have meds, too, that they have to take on a regular basis. Sure. But, yeah. but but they're not, you know, they're not where they need that, that constant, yeah. you know, hospital. Serious hospital. I got you. Wow. That's, that's cool.
1: Now, if somebody wants to reach out, they want to get involved, they want more information. Is there a way? Do you accept that kind of? Uh... Reaching out to you—is that something you're interested in?
0: Yeah, no, I, I would. Uh, that'd be great. Yeah, you know, the best way probably to reach me is just uh, through our our website, the uh, Old Dogs REI Network. That's dogs d a w g s and it's just all you know one word dot com. So yep. an REI meaning real estate investing yep. network. Yep. So it's old dogs uh, real estate investing network or REI network and dot com. And and uh, you can just go there and, and contact me. And if they want to write to me personally, it could just be Bill at old dogs REI network dot com. Perfect.
1: Awesome. Bill, it has been a pleasure. Uh, you are a fantastic storyteller for the record. I, I really, I'm just, I'm sitting here going, hey, I'm the host, maybe I should maybe I should ask a question, but you're just telling such good stories and you're so <laughs> thorough and, and you just have a way of telling them that I'm, I'm just like listening. I'm just listening like I would imagine people in their cars or running on the treadmill or just listening right now going, wow, that's really cool. And he tells a great story. So man, you made this extremely easy for me. Thank you. The message is great. I, I love that you spent so much time uh, working in Haiti with children and It's just cool. Like you're you're clearly a good person with good intentions and good values, and and you're also side note you're a smart business guy, and you have all these doors and these this great business that's growing and thriving. And you know, I love one thing you said that I just you know you you probably take it for granted, but you were talking about your um, your Airbnbs, and you said we had to go from cleaning to sanitizing, and so we had to find a company that would do that properly. Whereas you know, let's just face it, there's people in the world who would say we're sanitizing, and they'll go just go in and do your cleaning. It's just a marketing thing, right? But it, you made a point that you were you were actually finding someone who's doing the sanitizing, doing it right. And then I don't think that's even a question in your mind. And hopefully it's not a question in most people's minds. But that's just kind of one of those indicators, one of those little things in your story where you go, just a good person, like clearly just trying to always do the right thing. And thank you for you know for, for doing that because there's people in our industry who don't focus on the right thing and they make it tough for those of us who do. So I love talking to good people. I say it all the time and, and you're definitely one of those. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing your background so thoroughly that was fascinating and what you're doing now and what you're up to so you can you can actually be a good person who gives and gives and gives and still have a business that's successful and financially successful and all that so love it man love the story love the message thank you very much
0: mm-hmm. yeah just uh, as a side note we're still we're still involved with our organization in Haiti and if people ever want to check it out it's child hope international and our, our website is childhope.org and the, uh, you know, some of the stuff that we're doing. Today.
1: Great. And I will put that in the show notes for everyone if you want to get involved. I love that. I love it a lot. Thanks for uh, being such a good person, being such a smart guy and helping our, uh, our listeners understand that that's all possible. Everything's possible. You can do the charity, you can do the good things, you can do the give back, and you can, you can make a lot of money and have great businesses. So uh, you're a shining example. Thanks, man. I appreciate your time today.
0: Well, thanks, Mike. It's a it's a pleasure being on your show. I'm stoked, and uh, I'm looking forward to yours coming out soon. So, Thank you. Uh, me too. We'll it, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 well, I, I think you great. Me too.
1: Well, I'll certainly let everyone know when that happens so they can check it out. And and, and go uh, check out the podcast, Old Dogs uh, REI Network on iTunes. Subscribe, give it a rating review, listen to it. Uh, if you enjoyed what you heard here, uh, I assume we're going to get a lot more of that. So go and check out uh, Bill's podcast. Too. Bill, thanks for doing this, man. Thanks for your time. Appreciate it. We're all busy. So thanks for spending time time here with us and I look forward to speaking to you again in the future.
0: Yeah, me too. we got to stay in touch, Mike.
1: Definitely. Thank <laughs> you very much. All right, guys, hopefully you enjoyed that episode. Bill's a great guy. I just love talking to people like him. I mean, the guy has dedicated a good chunk of his life to like rescuing and caring for orphans in another country and his whole family was involved. And he even said it was dangerous at times and You know he he did that and he's still doing it and and, oh by the way he's like a super smart guy tour i mean he toured the the world in a rock band and and children's music and then you know ended up building this orphanage and creating all this for for the folks in haiti and uh came back and and built this huge real estate empire i mean like you heard in the episode i i just assumed he had uh you know a couple of dozen to maybe 50 rentals and you know, pretty unassuming, pretty quiet guy. But hey, he's over 700 rentals. He has his way to a, a thousand. Like it's just amazing. Like you know what you can do, especially if you just put it out there in the world, and you have this abundance mindset, and you're just a giving person, and you know you attract the right people to you. And next thing you know, you're partnering with good people, and you're doing big things. He's a great example of that, so I really enjoy talking to him and getting to know, getting to know him better. Uh, just a fantastic guy, and it, it really listening to people like him talk, it just makes me realize, wow, I, I probably could be doing more, not just for me and my family, but for the world. So. Uh, he's an inspiring guy. I hope you guys got a lot out of it. But, you know, honestly, he didn't just sit home and think about all this stuff. He went to Haiti. He built this stuff. He created this band, this children's music, tour the world. Like, he went out there and got it done. And that's the that's the magic formula, guys. You have to get out there and get started. So, he's somebody who's, who gets started, it sounds like, every single day. He said it on the podcast. He's 65 years old and he's starting these new ventures. Like, what is your excuse? Get out there and get started. Make today the best day you've ever had in your life. It's, it's all up to you. Go out there and do it start today make it happen we'll see you next time okay you're still there you're still listening that's awesome and i really appreciate that now hopefully it wasn't an accident hopefully you didn't leave the room and i'm just talking to an empty room right now but assuming you're still there i want to do something really really cool for you for a limited time i want to give you a free digital download of my book the entire book level jumping. If you're a listener to the show, you know, it just came out and it really details how I took my business from being like one where I was just doing a few deals a month, maybe one or two deals a month to doing over 10 and sometimes 15 deals a month and over a hundred a year. And I went from doing very little profit to over a million dollars in profit. And I made that transformation in a 12 month period. And this book talks about what I did, the steps I took to transform my business and how you can too. So grab a free digital download and you can get that by texting the words just start as two words now, just start to the number five, five, four, four so text just start to 55444 I will send you a free digital download of my book it's the complete book there's nothing held back and that'll be completely yours just for making it to the end of the show and listening to me and I really really appreciate it guys so I want to do something nice for you I do this every once in a while at the end of shows and if you listen to the very end every once in a while I do a giveaway like this so hopefully you enjoy that go grab a free copy I hope you read it I hope you love it reach out let me know what you think alright guys talk to you next time